Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Newsweek's Foreign Service. I'm Josh Lowe, and each week we look at the big stories from the US and what they mean for the rest of the world. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to look ahead to the year 2017, what it has to offer us. Um, Got some great guests coming in in a bit. But before I do, I have an equally great guest. Uh, I have to say that because he's my boss. Um, He is the editor of Newsweek uh, International, Matt McAllister. And we just thought we'd have a little talk about news events coming up in the year ahead. What's going to be really significant? So, Matt, what's kind of on your radar? I think, you know, every single time... I've ever heard a podcast or TV show or radio show about this. The word uncertainty is is basically the first noun that anyone anyone mentions. Oh, it's an uncertain time. The year ahead is really uncertain. Well, that no year really has been quite as uncertain as 2017, um, mainly because of who the president of the United States is, uh, Donald Trump, or, or will be on January the 20th. Um, when he's inaugurated, it's just impossible to predict. Um, And so I think that we can see certain contours and shapes of the US policy, domestic and also especially foreign, beginning to take shape. But there are internal contradictions, just huge ones. His defense secretary, for example, uh, General Mattis, uh, his nominee at least, um, is, is dead set against torture, which is a mistreatment of prisoners, which is one of the things that Trump campaigned on. So, you know, how these things will be resolved, and that's just a tiny, tiny fragment of the contradictions that that are inherent in, in the future Trump administration. And for our listeners that don't know, you were a foreign correspondent for a long time. Um, so you've covered a lot of different sort of governments and regimes around the world as they begin to form themselves up. What are kind of the interesting moments to watch for? Because, you know, Trump is on the one hand, he's just another president, but he's sort of not just another president. It's going to be a slightly different administration. What are kind of things to watch for? What are clues to look for about how this kind of this government might shape up? Well, I think, you know, in the past, there have been certain countervailing kind of rather predictable centers of power in the world. Um, That's a little different now. Um, Really, the three most powerful people on the planet uh, as of January 20th will be Trump, uh, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. And, And, you know, none of whom are sort of card-carrying social Democrats, to put it very mildly. And that, in a way, is a signal to the end of, of a kind of era of sort of, you know, Western optimism about the, the 
sort of inevitability that social democracy will and sort of neoliberal capitalism will will be the dominant ideology in the world. That just doesn't seem to be as inevitable uh, as it once seemed, to put it mildly. Um, you know, you have weird alliances being formed not so long ago. Erdogan and Putin were at each other's throats. Now they're, they seem to be putting a deal together to possibly bring an end to the war in Syria. That's a completely you know, radical realignment, as is Russia's role in the Middle East in general, which which Kissinger and Nixon, you know, essentially put in place that the US would be the dominant force in in the Middle East, and Russia is edging in there day by day. Mm. And and as you said, it's kind of a year of uncertainty. Everyone's been saying that. Um, so I guess one thing that that means is that everyone's got a lot of questions. What do you think are kind of questions that Newsweek readers are going to have um, in the air ahead? I mean, maybe this is partly just crib notes for me pitching my stories in the morning, so I know what Matt will accept. <laughs> but what what are, what are the questions that our readers are going to want answering uh, in the coming year, do you think? Not just in politics, but all um, over the what place. What crib notes can I give you, Josh? Okay. Kribnate, so who's going to win the French election? I'd like to, if, if you could tell me that um, next week, that would be helpful. Um, Marine Le Pen um, is, you know, it's unlikely that she'll win. Um, but, you know, a lot of things are unlikely in 2016. So I think that's kind of the whole like likely and unlikely um, f- formulation has shifted a little bit. Um, what will happen in Turkey, I think, is kind of fascinating. I mean, it, it, the the... Wars on two fronts, really, the, the Turkish government, to at least two uh, fighting. Germany, you know, Angela Merkel, um, she seems to be skipping Davos this year. Her not showing up at that event is really symbolic. I mean, that's the place where uh, the centrists of the world kind of gather and, and uh, you know, make each other feel better and comfort each other and she's not she's kind of the last person standing in in the kind of great panoply of of western centrist leaders and she's not showing up uh xi jinping by the way is allegedly hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
So thanks very much for making the journey over to us there, Matt. Um, now I'm just going to turn to two fantastic guests. And rather than talk over them, I'm just going to let them introduce themselves. I'm Aisha Hazarika. I'm a former advisor to the Labour Party. I'm now a political commentator and a comedian. I am a man called John Holmes, a writer, broadcaster and man, like I said. Excellent. Well, there we go. Um, and seems appropriate to start with looking ahead to 2017. Before we get on to the serious stuff, has anyone got any New Year's resolutions? Anyone got any particular plans? So I've decided to try and do anti-New Year's resolutions. So I'd like to eat a lot more white carbohydrates um, this year. Um, I'd like to drink a lot more gin. And I'd like to collect more bags for life. I think that would really make and my life... And fill them with gin, presumably. Yeah, yeah exactly. gin and white bread. I actually, bag for life is kind of like a sort of Hessian material. Like that. You could actually strain gin through that. Yeah. Uh, if someone stood above you with the bag I'd like of to find gin. some use for them because I have about 178 in my utility room yeah. as we speak. And I never seem to remember to take them to the supermarket. That's why. White bread is actually really underrated, I think. I was talking about this just the <laughs> other day. It's incredibly uncool now, but it's actually because you don't really want like too much flavour from the bread. Anyway, I feel like we're... No, it makes, slightly, the, be- it yeah. makes the best thing. If, you, if someone offers you a bacon sandwich and it's not white bread, yeah. I will punch them because yeah. it's pointless. So why are you doing, why are you doing these anti-New Year's resolutions? Are you, the, the, because I sort of think maybe some reverse psychology will, will happen and then I'll, I won't eat so much white bread as I do and drink so much gin as I do so because they are such a waste of time New Year's resolutions because you sort of start I mean I did something ludicrous last night I had courgette for the first time in my life what I I just hated myself afterwards (laughs) I was like I don't even I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like I don't even know you anymore who are you and that is going to last for about two days and then I'm going to want to have like a massive bowl of just normal white spaghetti I will never. Uh, I've never made a New Year's resolution because, oh, really? as, as you said, it's pointless, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a waste of. You know, it's going to fail, so there's no point in doing it. So you just might as well amble along. Well, there we go. 2017. Yeah. Maybe it could be the year when people realise that this is all just a, a bit pointless, really. To move on to our first story, uh, it seems like an obvious one, and it's someone who has got only one New Year's resolution, which is to actually manage to somehow govern the United States, which is pretty divided, Donald Trump, um, who is pretty excited about having been elected as president. We have many challenges, but this is truly an exciting time to be alive. He's excited. Uh, are we excited? What do we think when, when, when Trump was elected? How hopeful Well, it depends how long we think we're going to be alive for. I mean, <laughs> it, it could be excited for about six months and then press the button. Um, obviously, he's been insisting that North Korea won't ever uh, have the capability of striking you at the US. And then he wants to go for a burger with, um, with, with Kim. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a strange situation, isn't it, where the, the president of the United States is about to be, but he's just sort of tweeting things that come into his head and passing them off as policy mm. and offering to take, you know, the enemy out for a burger, which is kind of a nice gesture. But, you know, if they've both got their fingers on the triggers, it's going to be a well-done burger by the end of it, as far as I can see. It's just also exquisitely bizarre, really. And I think as somebody who loves politics, who writes about politics, I think anybody who just has any kind of interest in the world, as much as you're horrified by the idea of Trump, it's also absolutely madly exciting as well, because the whole thing is going to be so unexpected. I think nothing will be done in a way which is formal or traditional or sane, possibly. 
But it's going to make for for very, very interesting times. I mean, I'm already looking forward to the inauguration. Apparently, nobody is agreed to come and do um, performances. Apparently, is it Rebecca Ferguson, who oh, was yes. like a runner-up on The X Factor, yeah. has been contacted. <laughs> all the big names are coming all, out. All the, all the big names. But, but she said she'll do it. I thought it was quite cool. She said she'd do it only if she could play a, a Billie Holiday classic called Strange Fruit, which is all about, um, you know, civil rights and, 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 and race relations. But the whole thing is going to be completely mad. We don't even know if Melania is going to be the first lady. Apparently, Eva, his daughter is going to do some of, like, the first... I mean, the whole thing is just going to be so completely But I kind of like it. I kind of... You know, we've had... as I know that the whole alt-right sort of, yeah, stick it to the left for once kind of thing. But you sort of go, go, well, we have done it one way for a long time. Maybe this could be the most entertaining thing ever. So let's just embrace it with everyone else. And so just would, go, yeah. would either of you, if you got the call for the Trump inauguration concert, come and do a bit of comedy, come and MC? Would you, would you do it? I'd also play Strange Fruit, I think. Um, <laughs> I'd sing that, even though I don't know all the words. And it would be... Ghastly inappropriate, wouldn't it? Uh, for me, for me, but to quite do fitting. But somehow, I think, I think it would work fine if I just stood up as a white man and sang that. What's the problem? What about you, Aisha? I stand ready. Um, I'm just waiting for the. I mean, they're probably trying to call me right now, but I'm busy <laughs> doing this podcast. But I think there's something in what John says actually, because this whole 2016 was the year that everything we did traditionally in politics, and I was, you know, worked in politics for sort of you know, two decades got shaken up and I used to um, as a communications person have absolute like you know hysterics at the idea of a senior politician actually doing their own tweets and as a result you know most politicians twitter feeds are just a churn of kind of very hackneyed bland yeah. things that have been focus grouped with a whole set of advisors and here we have as, as John was saying this guy who just tweets into the night whatever comes into his head so I don't know maybe maybe this will loosen up politics I think a so bit. I think it's great I think you know, the fact that you wake up and go, what's Trump said now in his dream? And he's written it down. He's like, you know, if I have a dream that's got a weird idea in it, I'll wake up and I might <laughs> write it down at the si side of the bed. You know, I could pen that or put it on my phone. He just tweets his yeah. dreams. It's really good. It's one of those things where you're right. It's going to be, it is quite exciting on one level. You you alluded earlier, John, to the, the finger on the button that he's going to have pretty soon. Um and he tweeted just before Christmas, I think, about um, how the US needs to expand its nuclear arsenal. Yeah. I feel like that was a bit of a moment where people were like, OK, it was quite funny for a while. But now he's sending tweets that actually will have, actu you know, foreign policy. What you say is so I actually know. important. Everyone's like, it's really funny. And then it was like, oh, my God, it's going to be like threads. I'm a bit <laughs> frightened now. Like, it's going to be Armageddon. That is absolutely the, the, the very, very serious downside, you know. Global politics, geopolitical sort of situation is so fragile at the moment. And I think what's going to be so interesting is his relationship with Putin. Because at the moment, you know, he's basically backing Putin over Obama. But I think at some point he's going to want to sort of stand up to Putin. And that is when things are going to get potentially very, very scary. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's it's, it's been very interesting watching this whole um, the, the diplomats being expelled from America after the you know the the blame for the Russian hacking for the interfering in the election, and then Putin going uh, well, you know, uh, I'm not going to do the same because I'm bigger than that kind of thing, and it's kind of reflected badly on the end of Obama's I term. Agree. I think you I know, agree. And, and 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 Putin sort of played a bit of a Trump card there, didn't he? And mm. and so that is exactly right. It's where that relationship now goes between them, because then you know Trump Trump's going, yeah, Putin's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. And so do we? Do we think what's the way to to sort of combat this? Do other politicians go on Twitter as well and start and and maybe let their press officers allow them to write their own tweets? Get rid of all press officers. <laughs> <laughs> Ex 
execute every execute. single one let's of bring us. Let's executions in. But yeah, it's a revolution, and it's it's us. It's the spads. It's oh. the spads. And there's another side of all this in America as well, which I'm particularly interested in. As someone who worked for the Labour Party, Aisha, which for listeners not in the UK is the kind of main centre-left party here. There's a bit of a debate going on about how the Democrats should kind of kick back at all of this. What do we think they should be doing to get elected? There's, there's you know, some people say they need to abandon identity politics and go back to the working class. Some people say they need to sort of shift the left to the right. I mean, what do we think needs to happen there and what might happen in 2017 for them? Well, the the Democrats are in, you know, quite a similar position to the, the Labour Party. They've just suffered a, a very, very big defeat. And they're having a bit of an existential crisis about who they are, who they stand for, what they stand for. But I suppose I would urge them not to completely rip everything up and, and, and start again. So I think the Democrats would be best to sort of, you know, not do anything too knee jerk. See how Trump begins to shake down is he as bad as everybody thinks he's going to be and then kind of take it they, they, they don't need to do anything in a hurry I think that would be the most damaging thing for them to do and what would you do John if you once you've gone in and executed all of the communications professionals yeah, well, I was what's, was what's the strategy that you're then uh, telling the Democrats to... I think I think that's absolutely right oh what you're saying I think the, the the tendency is to knee-jerk react to this kind of thing and as we did see here with the Labour Party uh, and you can't because it's it, there's no one even though the press report that you know the, the whole media bubble says well it was this was the reason and of course it's more nuanced than that so you've got to take stock and go okay the world has actually changed but until we know quite how you can't. You shouldn't need your react to it. And the world has changed a bit. Before Trump, we knew the world had changed a bit when Brexit happened. Uh, thus far in 2016, uh, we've got some information about what Brexit means. Brexit means Brexit. 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 I think the honourable gentleman first of all should just accept that Brexit means Brexit. There we go. Um, that's as much information as we've had so mm. far. What are we going to find out in 2017, do we Well, think? that Brexit means Brexit. <laughs> we have had a wee bit more. We've heard that Brexit's going to be red, white and blue mm-hmm. as well. That was really useful. That cleared kind it up, didn't it, for us all? Oh, massively yeah. for yeah. me. That, that, that was like kind of, that was very... By the way, I, I love the Scottish accents saying Brexit means Brexit. They're the best. Because <laughs> they, they, they sound slightly menacing as yeah. well, yeah. which um, as a Scot, I feel very <laughs> proud of that. We, we don't know. All we know is that Article 50 is going to get triggered in March. We know that Theresa May has promised to come to the House of Commons with some information, but how much of that we're going to get is up... I mean, she may well come into the Commons and say, Brexit means Brexit, and that's it. Let's have a vote now. (laughs) Um, So we know very little. We know today that um, the British ambassador in Brussels has resigned, which does not bode well for our negotiations. It doesn't look good, that, does it? I mean, (laughs) on the face of it, not very, very good, considering he's the guy who knows most about Brussels. First day back in work today, and that was, uh, yeah, I thought, are we going to have a Brexit story already? Yeah, we do. We do have a disastrous Brexit story. You you do um, a lot of radio, John. Uh, you know, do you think your listeners are? How, how how do you think they feel about all this? Are they completely confused? 
confused. That was what we kept hearing about during the campaign. I, I don't know about confused. I mean, there's there's the slightly interesting that um, just to go back to the other point in that the you know Donald Trump has his finger on the trigger of nuclear power, uh, and here we are with the trigger that triggers an article. <laughs> it's a sort of slightly <laughs> lamer trigger. My friends thought there was actually a massive button in Downing Street, like yeah. next to like the nuclear button with Article 50. That at some point someone yeah. will just press like in Crimson like, Tide. <laughs> but I don't know. People are not confused about what it is. They're just confused about what our so-called leaders are leading us into because they don't seem to know either. Wait, did you did you campaign in the referendum, Aisha? Because you were... um, I did. I did um, a sort of very mad last day of campaigning on the Remain bus which was it was like a really mad episode of coach trip with loads of like <laughs> random politicians David Cameron I was there with my old boss Harriet Harman Paddy Ashdown John Major Boris Johnson's dad it was completely <laughs> completely bonkers um but that's a coach holiday from hell it really was it really really was um and I don't know I think people are definitely sort of confused about how Brexit's going to end up being. But I think the thing that people did vote for was immigration. I think immigration was the lightning sort of conductor issue of Brexit. And I think that's what's going to make everything so difficult. Because at some point, somebody's going to have to make a decision and say, right, are we going to take that step? Are we going to try and seriously reduce immigration and if so, what is the trade-off with the economy? Because that's what it's going to come down to. It's a bit like Highlander. There can be only one. <laughs> and somebody, i.e. Theresa May, is going to have to make a decision on that. And at the moment, everybody is just sort of wafting around. You know, there was that leaked memo saying, have our cake and eat it. And I don't think that can happen with Brexit. It's got to be one or the other, really. Mm. And that's going to be kind of the issue... Uh sort of throughout Europe a bit this year, isn't it? Because you've got um, the elections coming up in France and in Germany. In both cases, you've got quite right-wing parties sort of snapping at the heels of moderate parties. But do you think it's going to be uh, a year in which people, moderate politicians, veer completely off track towards mad anti-immigration policies? Or do you think we're going to end this year saying, well, actually, we had a bit of a wobble there in 2016, but everything actually looks a bit more normal now? I think immigration is going to be a massive, massive issue. You know how Bill Clinton once said it's the economy stupid. I think this year it's going to be it's immigration stupid, rightly or wrongly. Well, as the daughter of immigrants, I obviously immigration is quite close it's to my heart. Thing. I think it's a very, very good thing. But I think one of the problems that has happened over the years, and this is true of the last Conservative government and equally true of the last Labour governments as well, there's loads of really good things about immigration, but they're they're have been issues, particularly in certain kind of, you know, jobs and areas um, where there have been some problems and like, wages going down, this, that, the next thing. And I think successive governments haven't done enough to actually talk about those issues. And so now everything has exploded into this blame immigrants for everything. A lot of the issues that people are annoyed about with immigration come down to not enough investment in public services, not enough investment outside London, not enough houses being built, not enough infrastructure investment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's all now conflated into this big angry sort of, you know, it's all about immigration. So anyone who says, right, I've got a legitimate concern about immigration is called a racist. But on the other hand, no one actually wants to sort of talk about some of the quite serious issues. So the whole thing is a big mess, basically. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I think that people are afraid, especially in this culture, where now, if you are seen to say or tweet the wrong thing, you know, you are immediately jumped upon by um, whichever party, and I don't mean political party, I mean, generic party of people. 
uh, have the opposing point of view and shouted down and called all sorts of things for just having what you could argue is a legitimate point. I think it's one of the massive problems with political debate. Like, you, there's so many things you're not allowed to talk about, and that's why everything, I think, has just gone so crazy. But immigration is going to be the big issue. And the irony is we've got this situation where there's lots of countries in Western Europe that think there's too much immigration, and we're going to have a conversation about that at some point. But then there's loads of countries in Europe that actually want their young people to stay in their countries a bit longer as well because their economies aren't growing all this stuff. So it's a really massive mess. And I think if Cameron had actually started talking about immigration much, much earlier when he was prime minister, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in and the EU wouldn't be about to collapse potentially. And before we leave European politics, we've got... um Jeremy Corbyn here in the UK, big topic of conversation. Um, this was him just after he got re-elected as leader in 2016, in October, I think. So I ask each and every one of you to accept the decision of the members, end the trench warfare and work together to take on the Tories. So that's him talking to his party, he had a little bit of a sort of internal uh, rivalry there, which led to a leadership election last year. Now he says we're going to get back on it. We're going to fight the Tories, or the Conservatives, for anyone who doesn't follow British politics. Um, today, we've had a report out uh, by the Fabian Society, which is a um, an organisation here in the UK attached to the Labour Party, saying they stand to lose by an absolute landslide next time round. No one is quite sure what to do. Um, I mean, Aisha used to work for the party. What uh, What's... what? What's going on? What's going to happen next, do you think? It's a real mess. And I don't really see that there's any um, massive way forward because you've got a position where the party members love Jeremy Corbyn. They don't want anybody else. There was a disastrous leadership uh, contest last year, which just left Jeremy Corbyn in a much, much stronger position. So that's the party members. And so there's no point trying to challenge him because they just wouldn't win. Meanwhile, the public is going further and further away from the Labour Party. And we're doing terribly in all the polls. We lost a by-election in a met- in a London metropolitan area, Richmond. We then lost another by-election in a Labour heartland. So we're, we're kind of failing left, right and centre, really. We're failing all across the country. Scotland is still a disaster for us. We've only got one MP left in Scotland. So the prospects are quite bleak. And I think there's not that much infighting anymore. The people that challenge Jeremy Corbyn have really been beaten down. They're sort of kind of in retreat at the moment. So he is leading, you know, in the way that he wants to. The problem is he's not connecting with the public And there is actually a real need for a strong opposition at the moment with all the Brexit stuff that's happening, with the fact that so many things aren't working. You've got the NHS in crisis, you've got the trains in crisis, and there's lots of ideas that Jeremy Corbyn has that are actually quite popular with people. They're not bad ideas. But he and the party do not seem to be connecting. There's another set of stuff out today by YouGov, and it said that Theresa May is ahead of Jeremy Corbyn amongst every age group, in every part of the country, across every social strata. And that is a really big problem for the Labour Party. So we've we've got this very difficult position where in amongst the members, Jeremy Corbyn is loved. He is he's fated. But when you take it out to the public, we're not registering on the on the polls scale, are rubbish though, aren't we? One thing we did learn, I think, in twenty sixteen was that all pollsters seem to be wrong about everything. But the opposite happens when they predict one thing and then a different thing happens. But it's interesting that the party faithful and the Corbynites, as it were, 
can't see the bigger picture and that if you know if you if we all think if Jeremy Corbyn is unelectable they must know that so what why what's know. in their interest to keep him I don't know they they have the 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 party faithful who who join the party for to vote for Jeremy Corbyn absolutely love him absolutely but, so love they him. Strong, they firmly believe that he could be prime minister I think they almost don't even want to engage with the question. It's almost more like they've been waiting for somebody to come along who speaks their language of politics. And, you know, he speaks a lot of good things, you know, empathy, social justice, equality, fairness. So it's almost like their belief is power is almost not the, the goal for, for him and them. Yeah. It's almost better to be in virtuous opposition, but have like the best principles. Great. So he's, he's probably not going anywhere then, I think is our prediction, do we think? Yeah. He's not going anywhere. Not, not this year, not in 2017. But um, before we wrap up, I also, uh, John, you suggested um, a fun sort of little cultural trend um, potentially coming up in 2017. You were talking about the return of vinyl. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I, I, you know, because I grew up on vinyl, because I'm old, and <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I have a huge vinyl collection. Then, of course, it all went away with the CDs. And it, uh, what I'm fascinated buy is everybody it seems rebuys what they get because I then you know I've got vinyl but that CD is much better we were told so you went out and rebought everything on CD and now then you have to buy it all on streaming because you can't get it onto your device otherwise and but then vinyl's coming around again and the, the sales you know I think it's in conjunction with streaming but it's you know the sales of vinyl are, are really up and I just think it's kind of in this world of <laughs> as we've been talking about of uncertainty I like that something old-fashioned and literally groovy <laughs> is still is still popular um, and so just to kind of finish us up then um, we've talked about some kind of gloomy stuff uh, well from some perspectives, gloomy stuff. The vinyl thing was a little bit more cheery. Um, uh, what are you both excited about? One thing you're excited about for the year ahead? I'm excited about Hull being the city of culture because I went to university in Hull and it's a great city, so I'm really looking forward to that. Great. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I'm just looking forward to a day when Southern Trains on in the news. Um, <laughs> and uh, for international listeners, uh, the, uh, the there's a train company in Britain that um, a, a, even though it's just put its fares up. I mean, again, I think there are hugely uh, in this country. I think uh, train fares as they go up annually. Um, and this is a company that I don't doesn't seem to have run a train for almost a year now. So <laughs> I mean, I think most what I think they've done or what they certainly should do in 2017. Um, is just give up, line all the train carriages they own up along the tracks between London and Brighton on the south coast and just use it as a corridor. <laughs> People can just walk to work. There we go. Uh, fresh ideas, new thinking. Anyone who's listening, feel free to take that on. Um, thanks so much to both of you for coming in. Thanks Thank to you. everyone at home for listening. You can find us every week on Acast, SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, don't forget to rate us on there, review us. In all ways, artificially boost our standing so that we're nearer the top above all of the other podcasts. That would be brilliant. Is this not available um, on vinyl? Sadly, not <laughs> yet. Not yet. Coming though. And yeah, thank you very much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.